How's it going? How's it going? And welcome to From the Sidelines. My name is Josh Duvall, and I'm here with Chad Davis and Devin Davis. And we've got an awesome interview today with Seattle Mariners outfielder Jake Fraley. So make sure you follow him on Twitter at jfrawl underscore 23. That's J-F-R-A-L underscore 23. And on Instagram at jakefraley underscore. Also, while you're at it, heck, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the FTS Pod. And if you have any questions, comments, recommendations, anything, if you just want to email us for fun, do it. Email us at dftspod at gmail.com. All right, let's get it rolling. All right, we're now pleased to be joined by Seattle Mariners outfielder Jake Fraley. Jake, how, how's it going? How are you? I'm doing great, man. How about you guys? Uh, just trying to trying to survive the quarantine. You know, just trying to find <laughs> stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll jump into questions and uh, kind of get some takes and stuff. So uh, what have you been doing to train for the season um, with the coronavirus and the whole quarantine situation? How you been keeping up? Um, yeah, just you basically utilizing what, you know, I have at the house. Uh, obviously not being able to, you know, do much um, as far as from the gym side of things and, um, you know, the normal training regimens that, you know, I'm used to and everybody else is used to. So, um, just trying to put, you know, my entire team that I have around me, you know, all of our heads together to, you know, figure out, you know, what workouts I'm doing, you know, with the stuff that we have at the house, like I said. And uh, beyond that, man, it's just kind of waiting and, you know, seeing how everything goes just like everybody else. Yeah, for sure. So uh, being from Maryland, you know, you're in Seattle now. How is that transition going from one side of the country to the other, you know? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, a transition. Um, for me, it's nothing new. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I've been playing, you know, baseball since I was five and then, you know, I was on a pretty big travel team when I was in high school. So, um, travel team specifically, I was, I mean, even in high school, I would get done school, um, you know, get into summer break and I would be traveling that entire summer break. Um, you know, even all through high school. So I would be, uh, you know, going from hotel to hotel and, you know, from state to state all around the country. And then obviously, you know, after that, going off to college and then eventually pro ball. So it's something that I'm used to. It, you know, it really wasn't that big of a transition. Um, there is a big difference from the Northeast to the Pacific Northwest, that's for sure. So, I yeah. mean, that aspect, um, you know, I wouldn't say so much as a transition, but more as um, kind of eye-opening. You know, I didn't know how beautiful the Pacific Northwest really was. Um, me and my wife absolutely love it out there. Um, the views, um, you know, the whole nature side of, you know, what that, you know, region of the country offers is, um, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Does it really rain as much as everybody says it does? <laughs> uh, in the winter, it does. In the summer, it never rains. Uh, really? Okay, last, that's cool. Last, last summer, um, the entire time that I was there, it rained twice, and out of those two times, one of them, it actually, like, really did rain rain. The other one was just, like, a mist. Other than that, it never rained all summer. Wow, that's really, that's awesome, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what were the experiences like uh, throughout LSU and the minors, and how that kind of prepared you for the majors, and finally, what was the call that you got when you finally got called up to the Mariners? Yeah, um, you, I mean, everything you hear about the minor leagues is all true. Um, it's actually probably more exaggerated than what's actually told uh, when you're actually a part of it. I mean, it's obviously a sacrifice, but it's very eye-opening. Um, yeah. You know, when you go into pro ball, um, and I went in as – Obviously, being drafted out of my junior year out of LSU, I can't even imagine being a you know an 18 year old kid, let alone a 
15 or 16 year old kid out of the Dominican. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very, very tough. It um, forces you to grow up. Um, and even for me, coming from college, it forces you to grow up even more beyond, you know, what you already did, you know, being in college and away from home. And then from the baseball side, I mean, you, you really learn a lot about yourself and how much you really do love this game. It's a big, like I said, eye-opening experience to where you, you really learn about yourself. Um, from a baseball standpoint, you know, you learn what works for you. You kind of get a really good idea of the business side of baseball. Um, and, you know, less away from what you remember it being. Don't get me wrong. Baseball is still fun. It's still amazing. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that at the end of the day, it's a business first. Um, so that aspect of the game gets introduced to you as you get to pro ball and as you start moving up the ranks and through the levels. From the baseball side of it, it's just, you know, you, you really understand how real and prevalent that is. Um these guys, all they're seeing when it involves you from that business side of it is, you know, you're just another piece on a big game board. Yeah. Um, they don't see anything beyond that or any less than that. So you start to really realize that once you get the pro ball. So for that aspect, it really starts coming to fruition as to what it really is. And so you really have to love the game to really work your way up and really make your dreams come true. And um, to me, I think like when you look at it from a different point of view than that, obviously that you can look at that very negatively. Um, but for me, you can also look at it the way I looked at it as, and it really shows you how much you love the game. And it really puts into um, focus all of the effort and all of the sacrifices and all of the you know sweat and tears you put into you making your dreams come true. And so from that aspect, I mean, that, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, I could talk about that for days. Um, and then from me getting the call, um, you know, I showed up to the field that day. Uh, I actually showed up to the field a lot earlier than I usually do. It was later in the year. And I was eating, you know, doing kind of like my normal routine, but a little bit off because, like I said, I was there a lot earlier, um, a little more relaxed because I had a little bit more time that day. And um, my hitting coach comes into the locker room, and I'm in a towel and, you know, sliding shorts because I'm getting ready to go get in the hot tub and just to relax in there and kind of buy some time. And he's like, uh, when you get a chance uh, – come over to the offices over here and we want to talk to you. And so that was all he left it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like probably it was my hitting coach. So I'm like, probably like, I have a really good relationship with him. He's an awesome yeah. dude. And I was like, he probably wants to talk about, you know, my bats from the night before, you know, the guy we're facing today. I didn't really think too much of it. So I was like, yeah, I'll just stay in my towel and sliding shorts. Like I'm half naked. I don't care. <laughs> we're all used to being naked in front of each other. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. And um, I'm like, yeah, we'll have like a five, ten minute conversation and I'll go straight in the hot tub. No biggie. And I get over to where his office and the skipper's office are right next to each other. And we, I get out the door and he's standing there waiting for me. And so I think he's getting ready to go into his office and he turns into the skip's office. And I'm like, oh, dear God, this is weird. Because uh, <laughs> like it's, you know, the coaches and stuff, it's one thing. But, you know, the skip has his own. The coaches do as well. But, um, you know, you don't really see too much of the skip you know in interactions like that yeah. um so i i'm half naked in my sliding shorts with a towel and i'm like gosh this is gonna be weird i'm, I'm at this point i'm like so i guess the skip wants to talk about the at bats too i'm like geez so now i start going through my head 
you know, did I miss a sign last night? Did I do something like, and I'm like, dude, I didn't do anything like wrong last time. I'm like, I'm so confused at what's going on. And to top it off, it's kind of awkward now because I'm naked in front of the skip. <laughs> and he uh, pulls me in and we're, you know, sitting in there and my hitting coach kind of gets behind his desk a little bit off to the side. And he looks up at me, very serious face. And he's like, I know I have you in the leadoff spot tonight, son, but um probably gonna have to take you out and I'm like I'm like why I'm like I feel fine you know everything's fine you know are you giving me a day off and he's like nah you're uh you're needed somewhere else and it didn't hit me and I'm like what do you mean I'm needed somewhere else and then I was like oh crap I looked at him and he started smiling I'm like wait are you serious and he's like <laughs> yeah the Seattle Mariners oh are- man and I'm like, oh, my. So I started bawling my eyes out instantly. Um, and, uh, you know, he, you know, got up out of his seat. You know, we shared a moment between me and my hitting coach. And, we, you know, hugged and, you know, just had a really cool moment. And he was like, I don't need you to say anything else to me, man. Get out there. I know you got a million phone calls to make. So, and then, you know, I, I went in. And there were like three or four guys in the locker room. And they, whenever anybody gets called into the Skip's office, everybody knows. Like, even the guys that aren't even at the clubhouse yet, like, they've gotten a text that someone comes <laughs> off. So, like, it's like it's just a known, like, you know, clubhouse thing. So I get in there, and all four guys that are in the clubhouse at the time, because like I said, we were very early that day. <laughs> we're all standing up in the clubhouse waiting for me to come back, and they were like, did you get the call? Did you get the call? And I'm like, yeah, guys, I'm going up. And, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Sharing, which was pretty cool. And, um, and then, you know, from there I went and made a million phone calls for the next probably an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's go back to another uh, pretty special moment. Uh, the 2016 draft. Um, you were selected in the second round by the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, what was that draft process like, and what was draft night like when you finally got called? Um, my whole college experience, when I, I would do it all over again, making the same decisions, going to college and going to LSU and not going to pro out of high school. It was the best decision I ever made in my life. So, I mean, for me in that moment, I mean, we had just won um, – the, if, I might be off by a day or two, but I'm pretty sure it was the day before we had just won regionals and we were getting ready to go on to super regionals against Coastal. Who obviously, we ended up losing and ultimately went on to win the entire College World Series that year. And that was the night before the, the supers were about to start. So it's a very weird feeling. It's very hard to explain unless you go through it yourself where, you know, you're obviously very excited and anticipating, you know, all of these things with the draft and, very selfishly thinking because obviously it's all about you and everything you put in to get to that point, you know, finally get your foot in the door to, you know, professional baseball. But at the same time, like I got to get my mind ready and get ready to face, you know, one of the top teams in the country starting tomorrow. And, you know, this is it for me. If we lose and, you know, my college career is over because obviously I know I'm going to get drafted. I know I'm going to sign. And, um, you know, it was a very weird feeling, but, you know, kind of back it up even from there. You know, freshman and sophomore year, I was um, I was told by everybody possible, you know, I was going to be a first-rounder. Um, you know, you're going to be a first-rounder. It's probably going to be mid to late and um, at the very latest, you know, supplemental first. Uh, but most likely probably in, like, the 20s to the supplemental first round. So that was anticipated going into it. And so we get into the draft and, you know, like I said, all the mental stuff that I just explained to you, you know, you're kind of like being pulled in two different ways um, on top of the anticipation of what you've already been told, you know, is going to happen. And that's the thing about the draft. 
whatever you're told, unless you're a top five pick, whatever you're told doesn't hold a lot of weight. Um, and so, you know, you're sitting in there and draft starts and obviously like the first 10 picks go through and I'm like, I, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going first 10 picks and you start getting into like, you know, the late teens and I'm like, okay, I have a chance here. You know, my name still doesn't get called. And I see, you know, a, a lot of guys that I've played against, a lot of guys that I know, you know, going off the board and, you know, we get into like the twenties and then to the end of the first round and I'm like, still haven't gotten a call and i'm like texting my agent like what's going on like well have you gotten any he's like oh, i haven't gotten one call yet and i'm like oh my goodness so then we get into the you know there's a little break after the first round before the supplemental first round starts and we get into that break and i'm on the i get on the phone with him and i'm like you guys seriously haven't gotten one call like because all these teams are calling getting ready for the supplemental first so if i haven't gotten a call during this break i'm most likely not going to go on the supplemental first round and we haven't gotten one call and the, you know, the commercial comes commercial break gets done and everything gets done and they start up and I'm like, dear Lord, I'm not even going to be in the first round. And we start having the break again, going to the second round and still nothing like nothing at all. Yeah. And we start getting into like the top of the second round and we start getting, you know, calls here and there. And these guys are like, all right, we're, we're going to take Jake here. Um, and I think at that point it was like 54, 55. It was like somewhere like mid, mid second round. We're going to take Jake. We're going to take Jake and gets to the pick. They take a high school guy who signs for like millions under slot. And I'm like, dear Lord. I'm like, there's, I'm like, first off, I'm like, why are these kids taking so much under slot? Like you're literally taking like record numbers under slot for these picks and i'm like dude like this is incredible so then we get another call at like 60 something from the angels i remember the angels specifically because they were like my age i remember my agent calling me and like he was like if he was like 95 percent sure in the 50 like i think it was 50 number 56 overall that i was going to be taken when they said yeah we're taking jake he was like 99 percent sure in his voice and everything he voiced with the angels and like 60 something and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be an angel. And gets to the pick, another high school guy, signs him under slot by like 500 grand. I'm like, holy oh, dang, what is going on? And like, this never happens. Like high school guys like that signing under slot are usually like first round. That's usually yeah. first guys that are taking in like the top 10 picks. You know, they're young guys and these organizations take you know advantage of it because these, you know, these 18-year-old kids just want to be – Hey, I was the number five pick, but you know, everybody doesn't know that they took, you know, 1.5 under that slot value. And obviously they know that they can't play that with me because you know, I'm not, I'm not, there's no way I'm doing that. And not only that, but I still have leverage because I'm only a junior. Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, the raise call, and I don't remember what pick I was like 77 and the raise were like, um, oh, actually, the yeah, the, the sorry, I take that back. The 56 pick was the raise. The raise had two second round picks that year. Uh, I forgot about that. So that first 56 call we got was Tampa Bay, and okay. ended up taking, um, they ended up taking an, a, another kid, and um, it was Bolt from uh, Nebraska. He's actually one of my good buddies. He's an unbelievable dude. Um, great baseball player too. Um, and then the Rays ended up having another pick, which was 77, and they called back, and they were like, all right, we're going to take Jake with this pick. And by this point, I'm like, yeah, they're, probably, they're not going to take me. Like, I've been told by three different teams, and not only that, but the Rays did tell me with their first second-round pick that they were going to take me and never did. Yeah. And um, so I was, like, anticipating, like, another, like, name to pop up, and 
they ended up picking me at 77, and I was a second-round pick to the Raiders. Awesome. That must have been (laughs) nerve-wracking. I know, yeah. The anticipation. Yeah. So I got, I got a, I got a fun one for you. All right. So let's, let's take it back to high school. You know, you, like you said, you were playing travel ball. Say you're on a bus, you're going somewhere. You're feeling a little rumble in your tummy. So you all stop at a gas station. So what's your go-to gas station snack? Gas station snack? <laughs> Probably definitely chips. I'm definitely getting Doritos. Okay. Uh, and I'm a big like I love I'm a big trail mix guy so I like the trail mix but the sweet and salty ones are the one with like the M and M's. Oh are, yeah, those are good. Those are good. Um, and then I'm a big sweet tea guy too, so I'm probably getting some chips, some trail mix, and and probably a big thing of sweet tea. There you go. That's good. That's good. <laughs> McDonald's or Cane's sweet tea? I'm probably gonna go Cane's. I feel like Cane's is more consistent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cane's Sweet Tea is the best. They have the best lemonade, too. Cane's is so good. Cane's is – we're actually we're actually getting Cane's for dinner. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> good, good call. So this is a question I've really wanted to know the answer to, but I know you're, like, wearing sunglasses and everything, but how big of an issue is it to feel the ball that's, like, directly in the sun? Yeah, it's one of the hardest things to do. Um, that's probably the only scenario as far as a sun ball, not necessarily like if it's a sun ball, like a ball, like a high pop fly, even though it's something that's very well known with pitchers that it's a very tough thing for us to, you know, deal with. If it's a high fly ball, that should be, I mean, you should find a way to, you know, catch that. Like we practice it enough to where if you have enough time, to like get yourself in a, in a, in a position to where you can kind of get around the sun a little bit. Um, you should be able to make that catch, but if it's like a line, so like the worst or when you're in the outfield and it's like a seven o'clock game and you know, you're in the middle of the summertime and the sun doesn't go down until maybe third, fourth or fifth inning. And that sun is starting to rest like right at the base of where oh, yeah. the stadium ends. So a line drive Obviously, you don't have a lot of time. Line drives quick. It's right at you. Um, and that ball gets in that sun. Like, you have little to know. Like, I, honestly, like a lot of times when you ask any outfielder, you run in the direction you think it's going to be, which you have a pretty good idea because you can see it off the bat. So you know the general direction of where it's going to be. After that, you literally put your glove up or out, and you hope to God that it finds a way into the glove. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, when you miss those balls, I mean, pitchers are, it's a very, you know, widely respected and understanded understanding of the thing where, you know, if you get that line drive that's right in the sun, you don't have a lot of time. If you miss it, you miss it. I mean, there's not much you can do. It's just one of those things. Since you're a left-handed batter, um, you kind of have uh, some interesting splits and stuff. So has there, have there been any, like, analytics that, like, you've seen with, like, uh, you being a lefty batter or anything that's, like, kind of improved your swing or your game or anything? Um, I mean, my hitting guy, uh, after every season, we look through very deep analytical numbers that aren't out there for the normal, you know, if you just look up normal analytical numbers, you're not going to see them. Like, you have to dig a lot deeper and kind of have, like, a little system put in place to get those things. Um... So we look at all of those numbers with that, like I mean, and but one that we really focus on that is something that everybody looks at um, on the front side of it, and that's you know OPS. Um, and to me, that 
basically shows that I'm being, you know, selective at the plate. So I'm getting on base, but I'm still driving the baseball. Um, Cause at the end of the day, this game, if you're not driving the baseball. So I had a really cool conversation. I have a lot of co- really cool conversations with Kyle Seeger. And one that um, really has stood out to me out of all of them is, you know, he explained it as, especially when you get to the big leagues, because it's all about winning. Um, you know, you being that chess piece on the game board, you have three different things that you bring to the table as far as value. Or Sorry, two things. Are you producing the run? So are you driving in the run? Or are you the one that gets on base and being driven in? Um, and so if you're that guy that's driving the baseball consistently, so you're getting extra base hits, um, hard contact, and obviously home runs, you know, you need to focus on, like, are you doing that consistently? And if you're doing that consistently, then you can create and say that you are of value with that specific thing. Now, if you are not driving the baseball consistently, then you better be somebody who gets on base a lot. And you better be somebody who is considered an easy run. So you better get on base and you better put yourself in scoring position as quick as possible. And when you're in scoring position, so once you get to second base and you're now in scoring position – it should only take one base hit for you to score. And that dictates you as an yeah. easy run. And now if you can do both of those things, now you're of a tremendous value um, because that's a very rare thing in this game. Um, so for me, like when I look at stuff that really helps me in my swing and my approach, obviously I'm looking at those numbers, specifically OPS, because that shows me that I'm getting on base at a high clip if my OPS is good and I'm slugging the ball well. So I'm driving the baseball extremely well too. So now I'm putting those two things together and I know I'm fast so I can steal bases. So now you add that aspect into it. So now it does take one base hit for me to get it, you know, get home from second base. So now that, that I can use that to my leverage as far as that is now a tremendous value to my, you know, it's my asset that, yeah. that I bring to the game. Um, now from a pitcher standpoint, I mean, facing a pitcher that helps me, I'm not a big guy that likes to overanalyze a lot of numbers. I mean, in the big leagues, you get every number possible. Like, it's incredible. Um, like, yeah. to the point of where you know, you know, if he puts his sock on left or right foot. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, and so you have to really have an understanding of what you like to look at and stay away from all the other stuff because you can get lost in it all. And so, and that's something that I'm still learning a lot about. Um, so for me, um, you know, I like to just focus on obviously what his pitches are um, and then what he likes to throw in like hitter counts or pitcher counts. So like when I get to two strikes, I want to know what pitch is his strikeout pitch. Um, you know, like what is his big pitch that he's getting everybody out on as a lefty, obviously. Um, so like what the way they break it down in the chart is the percentage. So it's the percentage of times that he throws that pitch in that count. Um, and if that high percentage is where I want to see it as far as an 0-2 count or a 1-2 count or even a 2-2 count, then I'm going to be – Getting to that count. Now, you're always sitting fastball. You're always staying fastball. You never want to get off the fastball, but it's something that you're kind of in the back of your mind. You're realizing that, okay, if I see this pop out of his hand, then I immediately know that it's that pitch and that count, and it kind of gives myself a little more understanding to where I can kind of just react to it. Um, You know, I don't really have to guess what it is, whether it's a slider or a curveball. Um, And, like, those little things is just you kind of pick up, and obviously everybody's different. Yeah. 
So uh, let's go back to LSU. Uh, tell me about how their coaching staff and organization and just everything, how they helped prepare you for the majors. Yeah, they were awesome. Uh, like I said earlier, um, if I had to go and make the decision, you know, all over again, I would do exactly the same way I did it. Um, going to LSU was one of the best decisions I ever made. I had, you know, the blessing and the, you know, being fortunate enough to be around the coaching staff that I did there. Obviously, starting with Coach Maneri, um, he was a he's a very very tough guy to play for. Um, but being out of the system now and in pro ball and looking back, I have learned so much about the game of baseball through him. Um, and I tell everybody that, that I get a chance to, or ever ask that question. Um, I butted heads with him a lot when I was Mm -hmm. at school. Um, I mean, you'll even, if you go and ask him yourself, he'll tell you that we, you know, we, we got into it a lot with each other, but it was just him trying to, you know, he knew that I had a lot left in me to pull out and, you know, he was just getting it out of me. Um, and then, you know, from the aspect of everybody else, uh, I mean, the hitting coaches, the baseball ops guy, um, still to this day, one of my all time favorite human beings, still keep in touch with him. He's actually a financial advisor now. He was the guy that recruited me to LSU. He was the hitting coach there at the time and obviously is not anymore. Um, I mean, that guy taught me, a lot of things that I didn't know about myself, you know, as I was kind of growing up through freshman year and in the sophomore year, and then he left after that. Um, and like I said, still keep in touch to him this day. And he, I mean, still learning so much from him just from a life standpoint. But I mean, all of these guys played such huge parts and, you know, the baseball player and the man that I am today. And that's exactly what, you know, that program preaches, um, you know, when you're getting looked at by them and it's exactly what they do. So as someone with really bad reflexes, I want to know when you're at the plate, um, how you know whether or not to swing with 90 mile an hour fastballs coming at you. Plate discipline. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so if you if you ask enough people, I'm sure you'll get enough enough people that'll say that I still struggle with that. So I mean, that's why baseball is baseball. Uh, I mean, you you have guys that are the best in the world at this sport and yet they still fail more than they succeed. I mean, that right there proves to you how hard it is. So it's something that is the hardest thing to do in sports, hands down hitting a baseball. Oh yeah. Um, and for that, you know, aspect of it, it's because it is so hard. I mean, it's just the face of it. Um, there's no, you know, any way around it. I was talking to an eye cause we get eye tests every year um, to get our eyes checked and, I had a question with him because I noticed this was my fourth spring training this year. Um, So obviously I haven't had that many. You know, I was asking him because I noticed every spring training I would come and we'd have our first set of, you know, live ABs uh, to start off the year in spring training, start off spring training. And it was almost like my eyes would like, like I couldn't see. Like it was almost like like my eyes would like, like the muscles in my eyes would like twitch out Uh for like, first like usually the majority of the time it would be like one day and sometimes it would carry into like two or three days but it would never get beyond that after that it would go away but I asked him like man like I start you know I noticed it because um obviously he was doing it again this past spring training I'm like you know is there a reason why our eyes do that and he's like look you're doing something that is so I mean you could even argue that it's like impossible party is to hit a baseball and now you put other aspects into it where guys are throwing different pitches at different speeds um and guys are throwing it harder throwing it softer like guys are doing things with the baseball that they've never been able to do before and 
the thing that starts everything with your swing, with hitting that baseball, are your eyes. Because obviously your eyes see it. They're the thing, they, they pick up the ball first before you even start to move. And he's like, you have those muscles in the back of your eyes. They are no different than every other muscle in your body. They, you have to literally work them. You have to train them. You have to get them to a point where they're able to see things and do things that a normal person's eyes or muscles, if you're talking about a gym, wouldn't be able to do. So, like, if you don't work out, by no means would you expect to go into the gym and be able to lift 225 off the bench. So no different if you step in the box and you expect to hit 95, but you never train your eyes to do that, you're not going to see the baseball. You're not going to be able to react the way that you need to. So, you know, for us, it's repetition. You know, it's, it's the fact that we've been doing it for so long and we see it every single day to where the muscles in our eyes have the ability to do that. Don't get me wrong. I believe that we are all blessed with, you know, these gifts by the good Lord to be able to do these things at a more consistent and exceeding rate than the normal person. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I mean, if you were to go out there and practice seeing that every single day, I guarantee you'd get better at it. And eventually you'd be able to hit it now doing it at, like I said, at, at such a consistent and accelerated rate as, you know, a major league baseball player would probably not. Um, that takes years and years and years of practice and work, but I like the way that that eye doctor explained it because it makes so much sense when I look at it from that standpoint. Yeah, for sure. All right, man, I think we got uh, one more for you. So I wanted to ask you any any kind of crazy, funny moment. It could be like with a fan or another teammate or anything that you've had throughout your experience. I don't – I mean, I, I could probably – I mean, as far as with a fan, LSU, I mean, everything – everybody always jokes – about this but um it happens quite a bit but i actually signed a a, a couple's baby at the end of the- <laughs> wow okay they actually like wanted me to sign their baby's arm and it was just like a really weird moment because like you guys obviously heard i have two kids i have a son who's three and my daughter's one and by no means would i ever want an autograph enough to where i would tell you to sign my baby i just don't get that don't understand that all right man i think i think we're good um thanks so much for coming on man we had a great time with you and best of luck with everything going on hopefully the mlb gets back to starting up soon and everything and good luck with the season man we appreciate you coming on perfect man i really appreciate it too guys thank you all right thanks man we'll see you god bless you good night All right, special thanks to Seattle Mariners outfielder Jake Fraley for a terrific interview. Be sure to follow him on Instagram at jakefraley underscore and on Twitter at jfrawl underscore 23. That's J-F-R-A-L. What are you doing? (laughs) You need to redo that. (laughs) (laughs) J-F-R-A-L underscore 23. And while you're at it, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at the FTS Pod. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send us an email to theftspod at gmail.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have a Bye. Good time. Time.